man that gave me. They say one day they're gonna round up. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here we take care of our own. You cross that line and don't take Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 283. We're getting a lot of good feedback on our intro song now. People are loving that, the lyrics. Um, and I, I laugh because there was a day, I think, probably back in the 80s, Sal, when rap music was was uh, the messenger, and now it's country music. So, But um want to just say thank you before we bring Sal on. Thank you to our 50,000-plus subscribers with your help, with your push, with your support, you've made us the latest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. Brings us to the big time. It's like our it's all late season call up here, just like these guys making the 40-man rosters. So we got our shot in the show right now, see what we can do with it. Uh, 74 countries supporting us. We have more countries than Brick, Sal, too. Um, but grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. Uh, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And again, make sure you support Sal after the show. Five stars, give him some good comments. And load us with questions. We got a few today that Sal's going to answer from the audience here. Well, we're trying to battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they are in Major League Baseball. So with your support, we'll continue to have success with that. But with that, Sal, welcome back to your show. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. Looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, we, we've got, uh, you know, the hot topic this week. And I know you've been interactive with it both on our – we have several tech streams that go on with our uh, our, our co-hosts uh, where we were intermingling probably way too often during the day, but it's, uh, it's always rolling. But George Kirby, Seattle Mariners, uh, you know, was asked again to, to paint the picture for the audience, was asked to go out by uh, Scott Service, seventh inning. He had thrown 90 pitches already, uh, didn't have success in that seventh. Uh, I don't, you know, again, you, you can talk to it more, the mental and physical training of today's pitchers as opposed to the past. Uh, but then to, to compound it, decided to take his gripe to the media rather than the closed door of the clubhouse. And again, that chronicle is probably something else that, that is a little bit old school uh, that we would disagree with his, his behaviors where you keep that stuff in house. You, you have the conversation in a different way. And where's the, where's the locker room leadership to, to squash that. So without kind of throw that, I threw all that at you. I'll let you unpack it any way you want. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those situations where it just is a, is a state of the state as far as how too many athletes, um, act these days and and if you took away the the or if you didn't know the setting of that interview with that pitcher Kirby you would have thought it was a, an 11 year old having a tantrum or meltdown over a variety of of things a punishment perhaps uh being forced to do something he didn't want to do in general and it, it's amazing to me that 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 is so close to the surface that that's the reaction that comes out, and then he the, the the pitcher has to apologize to say in in such a whiny way that he didn't belong out there, or shouldn't have been out there, as if he had just thrown two hundred pitches on a ninety degree ninety humidity day. It just shows you the failure of the system that it's producing pitchers like that who. You know, look at his stats. He's not exactly been an innings eater in his two years. I remember looking it up and comparing it to to some workhorses that, you know, we've done that. And that's kind of like a fun thing. These guys complain about 
workload and you go back and look at what real pitchers were doing, you know, even 20, 25 years ago, uh, that'll never be seen again. So I, I just think it's laughable. I think it, it to, to continue to spend time on it other than to say it's a great indication of the failure of the system that is producing athletes like this, regardless of the, of the sport. If you have that kind of response, that kind of reaction, you failed in preparing your athlete. And if that was in any other field, you would look at that as a failure of the system that produced that person and that outcome. Yeah. And, you know, first uh, people asked me if I was surprised and my answer was no, because I was, I was saddened by it, but it's not surprised by the failure in the seventh, because it was almost like self-sabotage the behavior afterwards, because, you know, I, I think with all the input these kids grow up with and not that, you know, I guess George Kirby is, I guess, kind of a kid compared to me, but uh, they, they've grown up with all this input. And when they have failure, uh, it's almost like that weakness being exposed is death and they will do anything to deflect from that. So we, we saw a few things play out. One, I think a lack of training. Uh, two, that that toughness that, you know, guys would have that would almost be embarrassed to say, no, they couldn't go out there, let alone admit that it was somebody else's fault. And, uh, but I mean- We've trained that, right? We got exactly what we trained them for, right? Yes, you have. It goes, I think it goes into the, or goes to the point I've been making with you guys, both on and off the air, that the fact that we have all these, let's let's accept the argument. And I actually do believe many of these major league ballplayers today across the board probably are more athletic in many ways than in generations past, but that the system, and we're going to, it's tough to generalize, but I'm going to generalize because I think from an athletic standpoint, we could, and you know, from our seat, it's easy to be critical, but again, there is no counter to our argument criticizing the system, so to speak. Our system has not produced any ball player that even approaches the multifaceted ability of an Otani. And I'm not saying that every guy that plays baseball should be able to go out and be a starting pitcher and hit like an everyday position player. What I am saying is you are a good athlete. You've spent your life around the sport and you're not a serviceable hitter. When you have guys who have put just as much time in playing positions and taking at bats and obviously become serviceable hitters, you have pitchers who, who we had to take they had to take the DH out of the National League because it was getting to the point where it was a wasted attempt where pitchers could no longer even execute sacrifice bunts. That's how little they cared to improve themselves and how little the system cared to make them serviceable ballplayers. So I think it's it's a it, it is a, a a bad comment on the system itself that you have a sport where there's nothing that says the pitching motion has to be mutually exclusive with something or someone that can hit the ball, hit the baseball, be a proficient, not even a proficient, a serviceable, a serviceable batter that it's, it's again, it's an indictment of the system. And that is just one of the many uh, examples of how the system has failed injuries, Lack of performance. We were talking about this before the show. In all of Major League Baseball, there are only 22 players that are hitting 280 or better. Go check the stats for yourself. That's incredible. So that means not even one per team. 
in that. Yeah. So, so we have a failure. And, and I think it was Kevin pointed out that you're hitting less with all these rule changes that have designed to benefit offense. And you still only have 22 players hitting 280 or better. Yeah, and these baseballs that are arguably um, juiced up. I saw a guy who just randomly reached with one hand the other day on an outside fastball and poked it into the right field bleachers for a, for a home run. Yeah, to 280 now is, uh, like I said, I think Glaber Torres, as we were watching the Yankee Red Sox back end of the doubleheader last night, and uh, Glaber Torres hits up with 270. And I found myself looking at him and be like, yeah, he's having a good year. And then I had to catch myself because 270 in the past, that was a marginal you know, hitter. Uh, hitting 270 where, you know, you were getting close. Now guys, if they're above 250, you think of them as a, as a mainstay and it's not uncommon. You know, I think Volpe was hitting, he's hitting, he's swinging about better. He's looking more comfortable. I know he's a rookie, but he's barely hitting 220 right now. He's hitting in the five, five and six hole for the Yanks. Um, it's, it's a, I don't, it's a training. And I guess here's the adage I would lock in and on. We, you know, we don't rise to the level of our expectations as much as we fall to the level of our training. And I think that's what we we've seen right now all the way around, whether it's hitting pitching or physical uh, stability. Right. It's, it, it is across the board. And it's, it, it seems to be baseball more so, in my opinion. I think fun, fundamentals, you, it's funny, you can't, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, you can't cheat fundamentals in baseball. They can cheat fundamentals in basketball with certain things they allow with the pivot foot sliding, with palming the ball. And they've kind of gotten back to calling some of those things that you could see it's funny when they call palming or or the, the, the sliding pivot foot, taking the extra half a step or step or whatever. It's as if someone was just affronted personally by something the official said. They, it's like the last thing they ever thought would be that would be called. But that you could make up for some of that with athleticism and other aspects of the game. Not that I'm a big fan of the NBA style, but you can see that happen. In in baseball, there's no covering up for terrible fundamentals. And we had that clip the other night of the Yankee game. I believe it was the Yankee game where they had three or four throws that were way off base and allowed guys to score from first on, uh, you know, on a bunch of bad throws. So I, I just... It's it's a sad thing to see, but we're again just like so many of the other problems we're facing in other areas. I think we're we're past the point of return uh, of no return. Yeah, that's sad to say as well. What what about um, it's kind of off the physical technical side, but the way Kirby handled it after going to the media as opposed to his his coach. Well, again, I I don't know if if that's just because they can't control themselves or they have no self awareness, and it's again just a symptom of how they've been trained slash brought up. So it's just a commentary on the whole environment and how much of that is how they were treated as a young kid, a young athlete, a privileged athlete in a system that rewards performance over a lot a lot of times over other important intangible and tangibles. So. Uh, I, 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 that's not a surprise to me at all. The, the surprise is what they, is what they said, not that they'd go, not that they would go to the media. Yeah. It's sad though. It's, 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 I guess that's the way of the world now. There's people are so concerned about masking their weaknesses that they'll do anything to deflect first. I guess the first one out there. Well, I guess, uh, 
if you're okay, moving on to an, uh, an old school guy, we both love and appreciate. We saw actually two records come about anniversaries late last week with Cal Ripken Jr.'s streak. And we, you know, we get into load management a little bit. I guess that's what you would call Kirby situation, load management. And then Pete Rose hit record, two guys that played as hard as anybody, two guys that came to the ballpark to play every day. They don't know the definition of load management, but looking at Pete Rose now, his record not even mentioned. Um, and I know we sh- it shares a date with another, you know, with a, with a tragic event globally and specifically with our country. But uh, Pete Rose breaking Ty Cobb's hit record on uh, this past week, September 11th, 1985, was a date. Base hit to, to left center Eric Shaw. Actually, our very own Jim Cott was a was a coach on that team, was a pitching coach for the Reds at that time. Um, what, what's your overall impression as you saw Pete Rose grow as a player? Because that's our generation. We watched him play. And um, what about the way he went about the game, um, I guess, reveals to us maybe what's missing in today's game? Well, I think there, there's a bunch of things involved with not only the not recognizing those records. I think it, it has as much to do with ignoring the past and being embarrassed by what the game has turned into and how it points out that you'll never see anybody again do stuff like that. And it's an indictment on the system. Again, there's another a indictment on the system, in my opinion, that you're basically it's a it's a, a de facto throwing up of your hands and saying, well, you know, we're not about that anymore. And that's a shame because, you know, say what you will about Pete Rose and his gambling and all the other stuff that he did. That's <clears throat> no different than a lot of the other negative habits that other ball players have ex- uh, have uh, displayed over their career. But, you know, watching him, he was the the epitome of, you know, he had the nickname Charlie Hustle. A lot of people, I think he was the classic guy that you hated him because he was the way he was. And and if he was on your team, you loved him because of the way he was. I remembered uh, Gary Carter was like that to me as a Met fan. And then he's on your team and now he's your guy. So that whole generation was filled with guys that were not even stars, but that were good everyday players that I think took their, their cues from guys like Rose and a little bit later Ripken that came to the ballpark every day and did their job and didn't complain and just gave you gave you uh, more than an honest effort every day. Yeah, we're thinking about and we, we we've been sharing around that clip from A Rod where he talks about the you know the teams that are winning right now have the highest batting averages. The teams that aren't have the lowest, and Major League Baseball is quick to you know, discount average to discount singles. Um, you know, and you see a guy like Pete Rose, 200 hits for over 20 years to get that record. You can't miss games. You can't do load management there. A guy that played five positions. So when they said, hey, can you go play left field? Done. Go play right field? Done. Third base, second base, first base. Um, and he was an all-star at every position. Um, you know, when you look at a situation like what George Kirby went through, he's being asked just to do what he normally does for one more inning. Um, you know, just all that he brought to the game in regards to that. But the, the, the overall health, I mean, and again, we go back and forth with the A-Rod batting average. The guy hit 303 for 20 years, batting lefty and righty to switch batter, 20 hit or 200 hits. How is that bad? 200 hits, 300 average, scoring 100 runs. Well, and we, you know, there's the, I guess there's this negativity around the singles. I, I read an article in defense of Pete Alonzo, who I, I like as a Met fan. He's a favorite. He hit, he's hitting low 220s 
40 home runs, 100 RBIs, and and someone said, well, you know, what what good is a, a few other useless singles? And and to me, that's one of that's an assumption that isn't backed up in any kind of fact. That we talk about Pete Rose, and again, the the one year he had his most hits, he had 230 hits, he had 190 singles, he still scored 115 runs. So he obviously those singles count for something. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a top of the order guy, a middle of the order guy, or a bottom of the order guy, you're on base and you're giving yourself chances to score more runs. So it, it there seems to be a lot of gray area in how they account for these new 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 era statistics and these analytics that that um, I think to me they show how they're trying to make them out to be more important than they actually are. You know, batting average, I think at the end of the day, what's your batting average? How many hits do you have? How many runs did you score? Uh, obviously, Pete Alonso could be productive at at uh, 40 home runs, 100 RBIs, hitting 224, but I'm sure he's a lot more productive hitting the when he had those other big three big years in his career, he was 260, 270. I think obviously that's preferable. So to try to justify poor hitting is – is kind of silly to me and it's a defies common sense. Oh, it's insane. I, the, the more balls you square up and the more consistently your, your bat is, you know, the, the sweet spot of your bat is hitting that ball, the better chance you're going to have hit home runs. Obviously when, when you're missing the ball, you're not going to hit home runs. And my favorite analytic statistic is batting average on balls, not put in play. It's zero. Um, <laughs> and I, I, Alonzo, see, you can have an Alonzo because if you got one or two guys are going to get you 45, 50 home runs and, knocking a hundred runs. He's, he's knocking in runs with that, but they've got a whole lineup. It's a homogeneous lineup. Now it's the point where like Kyle Schwarber, who I like as a player came up as a 300 hitter, was a catcher. And now he's a leadoff guy. Um, and he's hitting under 200. He's got 39 singles, I think, or 30. I mean, I mean, it's, it's crazy what, and he strikes out a lot more now, but again, that's what they're being paid to do. They're, they're not that behavior and those, that skill set is what's generating, their salary increase. So it's, it's, it's almost backwards, but it's hard to fight them on that if that's how they're getting paid. Well, I think about just going back to Pete Rose for a minute, we, we had that discussion, I believe it was on the other show. And then we talked about it here that the White Sox training staff was advising their players. I think it was last season, not to sprint uh, to first on your routine quote, routine grounders to the infielders because they were having hamstring injuries. And you go back and you look at Pete Rose, what was one of the things he was famous for was sprinting to first base on a walk. Yeah. And, you know, you look at his numbers, he was playing, he played a full season at 41 years, at 41 years old. He played 162 games as a 41 year old and 151 game as a 42 year old. So, and he played mostly, he led the league in games played, you know, four or five times and was always in the 150 plus area. So there's a guy who sprinted, hustled the whole time. It didn't affect his ability to be out on the field. Yeah, dove dove for balls. Uh, you know, if, if you watch his last hit, I think this is this is something I'd like for our young audience to pay attention to. Here he was breaking one of the most unbreakable records because you've got to be consistent, you've got to be skilled, you've got to have durability. And on the hit rounded first base hard like he was going to take two if they bobbled it retreated back to first base looking over his right shoulder just in case it was an overthrow got the first base bag secured his helmet turned to the first base coach and then realized shoot I just broke the record and then you know that stuff but nowadays guys gets a single he's trotting down the first barely making that turn and he's doing some sort of bow and arrow signal or you know 
and figures back to the dugout as he's, you know, kind of haphazardly walking back to first base. So I want our young audience to pay attention to that. And if you don't, you know, I hope you're familiar with Ripken and Rose. If, if not, I'll be disappointed with our young audience, but go back on YouTube, use your iPads for good instead of evil and take a look at those two guys today and just see what kind of players they were and, and the way they played the game. You'll see a lot of diving, um, you know, aggressiveness, uh, putting the bat and, you know, putting the bat on the ball, even Ripken, who was a little bit more of a swing and miss guy back in his day, he was still hitting 280 plus and he still hit over 400 homers. Um, so, uh, and that was, and you know, he, he would be leading the league in hitting nowadays. Well, and if you look at Rose too, he had a lot of doubles. I mean, he led the league in doubles many years because of what you said, Dave, he took that turn and if he felt felt that the outfield was maybe slow getting the ball or or the throw was offline, he was going to take that as as also as sure as it was because of where he hit the ball. He hit the ball where it was going to be in the gap and he gave himself you know a shot to get that double. That's part of this lost art that we don't see today is guys being able to hit the ball to different parts of the field and not be so one-dimensional. And I, I think people, I've heard people say stuff about, well, he was a singles hitter. Well, he really wasn't. He was really a doubles hitter too. And that is a tribute to, to really how he played and how he could hit. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, you see, you see his body type, his forearms, he was not a small guy. He was a, he was a well-built guy. Um, and if he wanted to be a home run hitter, he could have, he, he, decided that was his function in baseball and that's what he was going to do well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just like Ichiro. People look at Ichiro. If you ever watch him in warmups, he can hit home runs with anybody, but that he saw the effective way to play the game was to move the ball around the field and you hit a home run when you have to. And, and if you look, if you look at the, the top, let's say top 10 doubles guys in major league baseball history, it's really a who's who of all time greats. And Rose you know, not that the old time guys aren't weren't as good, but Rose was the is the second all time. Tris Speaker had almost eight hundred. Rose is next at almost seven fifty, and then you have you know you have Tris Speaker, you have Pete Rose, you have Stan Musial, you have Ty Cobb, Pujols, Biggio, Brett, Naplahoy, Carl Yastrzemski, and Hannes Hannes Wagner as your top ten. That's a who's who, and that's again a tribute to to guys how they play the game. You know, and, and there's there's a few modern guys in there. Ripken is in there at 600. You have more modern guys, recent guys in that top than you're going to have in some of these other hitting categories. But, uh, again, I think there's a lot of basic stats people ignore. You know, there's enough there in the traditional statistical array, if you will, to look at what makes a player effective instead of making up. What was the one we saw the other other day? Expected batting average? I almost thought that was a joke. Yeah, it's it's silly. It's silly. Again, it's, it's like saying, well, my expected salary is, and it's $50,000 more than I make, and that's what you spend off of. How, how is that a way to to, not, to yeah. justify anything? It's kind of crazy. No, it's just numbers for numbers' sake. And I, I like the double point because doubles to me are like red zone offense in football, and it's like getting the ball in the paint in basketball. You get on second base, you should score. So those guys you mentioned from – you know, to Wagner, to Rose, to Ripken, to Lajaway, uh, Trish Speaker, I think you mentioned too. Those are important stats. I'd, I'd like to see us get back more to that as well. But uh, 
Well, do you want to head to Aaron Rodgers or turf, or is it all one and the same here? Well, let's let's go to Aaron Rodgers. That's the news that's dominating, especially in my area. Yeah, probably one of the biggest disappointments, uh, sports athletic disappointments in history. Certainly in this area, four plays in, tears his Achilles, and all of the high expectations for that team kind of went up in a puff of smoke. Now, to the to the team's credit, they overcame that and won the game, and that kind of saves really saves their season because losing that and going into a depression hole over not having this legend being your quarterback, now they've come back, and I think they have a good enough roster, but I think there's a lot of questions that come up as a result of this injury. The most obvious to me, well, there's two obvious ones. Uh, there, we'll we'll talk about the two obvious ones without necessarily being in any one being more important than the other. I think they're they're probably both responsible. The one obvious one. Let's talk about that. There's been 14 Achilles tendon ruptures already in 2023 after only one week of regular season play. When last year there were 18 total by the end of the season. And 20 years ago, there were four. So the players are of the opinion that it's the turf. I agree with that. Uh, I've seen too many non-contact ACL injuries. I haven't seen personally Achilles because I think still at the, although you've seen it, quote, at the uh, combine last year, I believe it was a Michigan linebacker tore his Achilles doing drills. So obviously that's a non-contact situation. I think you have a, a, a bad combination of training, lack of certain training, and the turf conspire to re- produce these injuries. And I think you've had critics say, how could you not play in preseason? And I think there's where the concept of saving someone from possible injury in preseason becomes less important because if if you watch those four plays, a couple of those plays, including the one he got hurt on, Rodgers was scrambling for his life. And I guarantee you, he didn't have to do that in training camp because you don't hit a quarterback in training camp. And in the preseason game he was in, there was little of that. And now you're at a completely different level and everyone's amped up. People don't have any concept, the difference between what you can do in practice and the difference in a game. And, and that's just, it's not just in football, it's in other sports. Having been on the sideline from everything from youth to college sports and been at practices, been part of practices, and then been part of games and scrimmages, there's nothing like what happens game day. So you have another factor here in the mix. You have a 39-year-old, 38, 39-year-old athlete who hasn't done that kind of movement and hasn't had to deal with the speed, the load that the speed produces, the spontaneity that the situations produce in that game time scenario. And it was just the worst of, of all worlds right there. And it culminated with him tearing his Achilles. Yeah, and that was a question that one of our faithful listeners, Dave Popovich, asked from down in Florida. Um, 
how much do you think these injuries, this rash of injuries, specifically Rodgers, has to do with these guys not practicing at game speed um, every day, or at least some of the time? Yeah, that that's part of it. And you, you don't know. I don't know what training is involved here, but you certainly can do things to try to replicate that. Also, you know, things fall under the category of stuff happens sometimes. But again, when you look at the numbers, uh, it's now beyond that. It's beyond a simple, oh, well, you know, there's a certain amount of these injuries you're going to get. To me, that's foolhardy when you're lo- lo- when you're looking at more already this year almost than you had a year ago. And you've got, you know, three, four times the amount you had in a season 20 years ago you have in one week. So there, there's more to it than just stuff happens. We have that the, the wonderful phrase of load management that's transcended all sports now. And the irony now of uh, load management with what we'll all agree with, the guys, at least outward appearance, are bigger, stronger, faster athletes. We're more protective of them. Yet we see, as you're pointing out with the Achilles specifically, but you see it with baseball with the arm injuries, we're seeing more injuries than ever before with bigger, stronger, faster athletes, with supposed more science behind the training and the nutrition. And we're demanding less for them in terms of the preseason stuff right now and going hard on non-game days. So quite ironic, no? Well, I want to put – I always now, the more time that passes in this phase we're in, Dave, where it's obvious there's a problem – at least the training and at least the turf. I want to go back to this article by David Epstein. I recognize, uh, I, sorry, I recommend everybody seek it out. I keep it, I should keep it in my open tabs. It was David Epstein. You could search, uh, it was an NPR interview with David Epstein. David Epstein is an author. He, looks into, well, he's an author of a book called The Sports Gene, kind of self-explanatory. He looks into how science and sport relate. And the the title of this interview is, Are Athletes Really Getting Faster, Better, Stronger? And I don't want to relive this or re-litigate it, but his point is, when you take out all of the factors associated with the tur- uh, with the track surface, the equipment, and the timing used for for the Olympics with Jesse Owens and the Olympics for Usain Bolt, they basically ran at the same speed. And his point is how much training is really involved with improving these these athletes. And I I look at all of these cases now under that or through that prism that I don't believe the training has that much of an effect on making our athletes better, male, female, whatever sport, football, track and field, because I've seen firsthand athletes stepping away, stepping out of the traditional model of training who have continued to improve and have done so with no injury issues, minimal injury issues, obviously in contact sports, you're going to have injuries you cannot avoid. There's there's just the reality of what happens in a sport where you're running into other people. 
So those things you're never going to be able to avoid. Here, my my feeling is we're we're in a place with our conditioning, our training for sport that is adding to the load these athletes have to contend with in a negative way. And that's why we're seeing this epidemic of all kinds of injuries in all kinds of sports. And the turf is just another factor that is having the this epidemic be worse. And what to explain to the audience, what about the turf itself? Um, I know we've well, talked- the, the problem is the turf, the foot grips the turf. You have that rubber, you have the rubber pellets, right. which form the under layer of the turf. You get a lot more traction, but the, the problem is the, the, the foot sticks, the cleat sticks, especially when you have these more traditional looking cleats that now they have almost this blade like structure, both at the heel, around the heel area and at the ball of the foot, the one at the ball of the foot is a particular concern because that's where the majority of your weight is when you're running and changing direction. And the typical non-contact, we've talked about this, the typical non-contact ACL injury occurs when you're planting and turning away from that, from what quote we'll call your base. So you're running downfield, you plant with your left foot, your shoulders and hips turn to the right to take your step. You extend that back leg, the left leg that's planted, the foot sticks, and that's when the ACL goes. There's that component of rotation that basically with your foot stuck in the ground at that high speed with those forces that the body is contending with, that is where the ACL goes. And that's what you're going to get a lot of times with the Achilles too, with the foot sticking or – because of other factors in training that the foot doesn't work properly. We've talked about this all the time. What's your ankle range of motion? What is your foot doing when it hits the ground? How, what is your hip and knee position when it hits the ground? This is getting to a little bit deeper than I wanted to get in this discussion. But when you look at a lot of these videos on social media that are training speed, they're doing things quickly, but they're doing things with improper foot placement and improper foot positioning. And that is really where literally the rubber hits the road. What you're, What is your foot doing when it hits the ground? So ignoring that basic fundamental movement at the expense of other things is really also what's responsible for a lot of these injuries. Because they're, they're loading on that improper body structure more now because we're, our kids are so overtrained and undercoached nowadays that they're doing the, they're, they're doing it to themselves. So I, I, that, that point, I can't get it out of my head. So the Jesse Owens, Usain Bolt, um, and, and it makes me feel better as an older athlete that, um, is it, it's your contention that, I mean, Owens is just as fast as Bolt. Um, Bolt just has better surfaces, better, lighter shoes, stuff like that. I mean, is that, is that what you're, you're kind of saying? Yes, if you they, if you look at the if you look at the two clips, I, I believe it was um, like something like fourteen feet. Bolt finished fourteen feet ahead of where Jesse Owens would be, based on as they actually ran it. Right. Uh, and then when they allowed for the factors again, that Owens ran on cinders, he didn't have blocks. He used literally used a garden shovel, 
or a garden hand trowel that he used to dig holes in the track to start. And when they looked at the analysis of the speed of his joint movement as he ran, that if he was on the same surface, he wouldn't have been that 14 or however many feet behind. He would have been within one stride. So if you look at it, and then they had a video that they used to illustrate these points, and it, it really is quite sobering. And I think people who do what I do for a living have a hard time accepting that. I, I've always been of the opinion my job is to kind of be an accessory to an athlete's abilities and try to help them stay healthy and move as well as they can so they can take care of what they need to take care of as far as their technique goes. I've done that in my practice for the last 30 years and have had great success with it. And actually in these last few years, working with some athletes that are performing at the high level, I can point to at least one example that it's worked out extremely well. And I would put my performance against some of these other coaches that are doing things with their athletes and don't have the kind of don't have the receipts, so to speak. Well, we've got a few that you've worked with that we, we share in common and they have not just reached maximum potential with their skill sets, they've stayed healthy. And actually two of the, the young people you worked with came to you with injury uh, in their background and, and they've seemed to get stronger, better um, by your methods. So uh, we, we have tangible, we have our receipts here for you, um, at least with, with some of the athletes we've worked with together. So uh, much appreciated for them and that you've allowed these athletes to get, uh, you know, half a million dollar scholarships as a part of that. So you've been a pretty good accessory to that. You're like the diamond ring accessory, not the uh, friendship bracelet. So, so um, I, I like that. Uh, I, I, that, that is interesting. I have to look into that article. I want to read David Epstein's articles. I have not read that yet. I encourage our audience to do so as well. And maybe we'll put the link up there in the show notes for them so they can get it. What's, uh, what, what haven't we covered? What did you want to get to today that we, we well, did not I, I think, you know, we, we, we've kind of been touching on this subject of, we've always said sport kind of mirrors what's going on in society. And I think we have, we're at a point with that. And I, I don't want to get too deep into it because it, we could go another whole hour on that, but you're looking at the evidence of more injuries and in the face of what's supposedly being advertised as better training. And really, you can't say that we have better performance because we, we have these injuries. So while we have athletes performing at a high level, we also, also have athletes dropping at a higher level than before and having these injuries that are not just minor things, but season ending at least. I think for a guy like Rodgers, you have to be concerned as to whether he'll be able to come back at all at his age. He's going to be almost 40. He's going to have an injury, recovering from an injury that is really difficult to, to, to come back from. And you have to wonder, you know, well, whether he'll be back. I don't know if you, you remember when LT, Lawrence Taylor, had a similar injury at the end of his career. He came back and had a decent part of the first part of the season he came back and then he kind of never got close to what he was and that that had a big part of it that ace that uh, Achilles injury but there's I very think. little there's very little little critical view that uh or critical self-assessment 
that coaches are going through that that I can see. We talked about this before, Dave. Uh, a couple of years ago, two of, of the best receivers Alabama had suffered non-contact ACL injuries. I guarantee you there wasn't much change they made to, to what they were doing to prepare their athletes. Yeah. That, where that would be the first thing you'd have to say. If, if you get one athlete that does that, you're, you're, you're kicking yourself. And now you have two, and you have to start thinking – what are we doing? That's a that's a great point because I think it people don't question that. You hear it all the time, and it's again, it's our social media where our you know our bigger, better, stronger athletes. The training is better now, and and great point. I mean, more athletes are dropping with injuries across the board. Pick a sport, pick a gender, um, than more than ever before, and we've got to start taking a strong look at. Um, what they're doing, how they're doing it, when they're doing it. And one of the things I always point to, and again, I'm not as, I'm not even close to as deep into it as you are, but um, asking young athletes to train like grown men. I mean, they're, they're looking at these grown men, how they train, whether it's a skill or whether it's a strength movement, heavy balls, launch angle, you know, the, all, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. We can't ask young, young kids who are still developing to do the same thing that men are doing. Of course not. That's that's one of the things I've gotten that for 35 years. Oh, my son got a workout from the University of Maryland's lacrosse team and he's going to do it. Your son is 13. You know, those kids are mature, 19, 20, 21 year olds. Now they're now those guys are older. You have you know guys in 23, 24 playing because of the fifth fifth and sixth years and the reclassing in high school. You have men now playing college sports that you didn't have. So the whole thing is ludicrous. I saw a clip today already of Coco Goss, what she did when she was 10. I have news for you. I trained a state singles, a a girl's state singles champ who went on and was the number one winning singles player in Big Ten history at Northwestern. She was doing things as a young athlete, but she also played three sports until she got to high school. Coco Goff, Goss is a great tennis player because she's got great tennis coaches and she's a great athlete. If you see clips of her, what she was doing when she's 10 years old, it has nothing to do with the bad program she was doing when she was 10 years old. It's, it's in spite of that. So we have to get parents to understand, you know, Dave, we, I'm going to finish with this and we're going to pick this up next week. We talked about that phys ed film that was part of the way phys ed class was run in the 60s and they had that presidential physical fitness award that was setting the groundwork so that athletes were already in good stead to go out and do what they needed to do we're now at a time where kids are not getting that for the most part rare is the phys ed department in a grammar school junior high middle school or high school that is doing a fraction of that stuff so it comes, it really, that's why I do what I do. I'm doing a lot of the same things I learned from my phys ed teachers who were my coaches because we were learning the fundamentals that were necessary. And it was why we were successful in sports. And I think it's given me the foundation to still at my age to be able to do most of the things I do. And it's shocking to see that I'm getting kids now that are in the high school years when they should already have been in command of certain things like that, cannot do those things. And it's because they haven't been exposed to it in phys ed. And it's because 
all of sport now is go out there and play and do your sport technique with very little attention being paid to the fundamentals of how you cut and how you sprint and how that relates to your ability to be agile. No, that's a good point. That's more, uh, more evidence that multi-sport athletes are needed at a young age and specialization. Actually, I can't remember, I think, which one of you guys put out there, specialization equals extinction is what the, the word is. And right now our, our athletes, are uh, healthy ones are becoming extinct. So hope our audience grabs on to what you were talking about today. I'm sure they will, and we'll keep pushing it out there. But I think your message is invaluable, not just to the network, but to the listeners. And then um, I hope people are following you on social as well. Share, share with everybody how they can get you on social. Uh, I, I For now, I, I really have fallen into a, a little bit of a funk with doing my Instagram. I told you guys off on text, but for some reason, my ability to comment was suspended for a week and they won't tell you what it was that you commented on that got me suspended. So I've kind of soured a little bit on Instagram because I, all I comment on usually are exercise videos. I don't comment on anything of a political nature. And certainly any of the posts uh, in that vein are way worse or could be judged as something you would not want on Instagram, Not certainly not a comment. So it had to be something to do with challenging someone about their something to do with exercise, which is shocking to me that you could get suspended from social media for something as silly as that. And I, I did post something about that on my Substack coach, Sal M, that basically said, if they're going to censor me on Instagram for some innocuous post about or comment about a, a fitness post, it's amazing what they'll really use those powers of censorship on. So I, I, ha I haven't really done much on Instagram. It's You could go check it out. It's coach Sal Coach Sal's Playmakers that will show you a lot about how I do things and, and my philosophy. And I do little two, three minute commentaries. But uh, what I want to leave you with is, is, again, we're being bamboozled by a lot of these new stats and these new things we're being shown as far as being the ideal way to train. And the results just don't bear it out. And yet we're still being told that this is the way to do things. So... That, that is going to be something we talk about next week. Okay. Now, I know you had sent me something. We usually do a uh, pharmaceutical of the day. Did you want to get into the Sudafed Benadryl thing quick? Well, not that as much as we'll talk about that next week. But what, what I definitely want to say is we're going to see in the, I don't know if it's going to be in the next six months or the next year, but don't be surprised if you see actions to take Many of the supplements that we know are beneficial, that are over the counter, that are stuff that you could buy in your local grocery store or supplement store, I think we're going to see a, a move to take those away from over the counter or at least away from the current generation of supplement manufacturers. And I'm going to, I'm going to guess that they're going to go to the, the pharmaceutical companies and we're going to have a tougher time getting some of these supplements that we know to be effective and safe, but we're going to have them taken away from us and be put into the big pharma pipeline. That's, uh, that's my feeling. And we'll talk about that more next week. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll tease that for next week. And 
to our audience, 50,000 plus faithful subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Thank you so much for allowing us to make a move to the big leagues, I guess, for iHeartRadio, the newest podcast stream on there. Make sure you go on and give Sal five stars today. Write some great comments. Continue to pump us with questions so we can we can play on the, the unique knowledge of, of Coach Sal Marinello here on the hot corner. Uh, Sal, thanks so much for what you do for the network. Thanks for the show with episode 283 with the hot corner, Coach Sal. Uh, thanks again, Sal. Thanks, Dave. Look forward to next week. Oh, man.